Hey, everybody, it's Lee. I know we're heading into the offseason, so we wanted to give a shout-out to our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena, one more time. And again, we have a coupon for $50 off an annual subscription when you use Hockey Never Stops at hockey.sensearena.com. I always like to remind everybody, I've been using this thing for six months, and I'm just blown away, not just from the VR aspect of it and the virtual reality side of things, but the ability to give different perspectives of the game, whether I'm playing as a goaltender, and I got to admit, it is really hard, but it has really given me a perspective from that point of hockey, which has made me a better coach and a better ice hockey player, or the skater modes, which help you work on cognitive skills and other things like heads-up play that you don't normally get to work on in a practice or a game. So I implore you to check it out. It helps us out. It helps them out. Support our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena. Get $50 off an annual subscription when you use Hockey Never Stops at Hockey.SenseArena.com. Again, that's Hockey Never Stops. That's the code at Hockey.SenseArena.com. Check it out. And without further ado, enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. What's up, everybody? It's Lee. we got a Stanley Cup champion on our show today, and his name is... <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to listen to the episode to find out. Of course, it's on the title of the episode, so you probably already know. Anyway, have a good time listening to this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. Uh, it was a really great conversation. We talked about, obviously, the journey to make the NHL, but more importantly, his journey as a father uh, towards his kids and their hockey journeys and everything that goes on between parents and coaches and you're going to relate a lot to this one, no matter where you're at in a hockey journey. Uh, so please enjoy it. And as always, we're heading towards the holidays. Go to HockeyWrapAround.com. We've talked about this. Use OKPH to get some uh, sales there. we got some great uh, exclusive stuff going on right now. Uh, but it's great stocking stuff for a great Hanukkah gift or anything in between. Um, check it out for our uh, uh, flagship product, the Hockey Wraparound, which is being used worldwide right now to protect hockey sticks uh, all over the world. So if you're spending a lot of money on your kid's stick, this is something you're going to want to at least look out or check out our dry stick uh, equipment drying uh, rack that's portable fits in your bag and also saves you a lot of space getting great reviews on that too but let me get to the episode because i know you're really excited about it uh, enjoy this episode of our kids play hockey hello hockey friends and families around the world and welcome to another edition of our kids play hockey i'm lee elias and i'm joined by my partners in navigating the waters of hockey parenting and coaching Christy Casciano Burns and Mike Benelli got another great guest for you today. He was named Mr. Hockey in Minnesota, an award given to the state's most outstanding high school player, which he followed up with a successful collegiate career at the University of Minnesota. That time created the foundations of what would become an 11 year NHL career, which included a Stanley Cup with the New Jersey Devils in 1995. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Tom Chorsky to the show today. Tom, welcome to Our Kids Play Hockey. Thank you. I uh, appreciate that, uh, that, that nice uh, intro, and it's good to be with you guys. I've checked your show out previously, and uh, now we finally get to talk. Right. It's good to have you. First off, your resume makes it a very easy intro to make, so that, <laughs> I always appreciate that as well. Congratulations on that. Obviously, you've done a lot beyond just playing hockey, but uh, let's start with that because, Tom, you've made the parenting journey like the rest of us through hockey with your kids, your daughter. Hannah plays for Harvard University. Some of you might have heard of that school. Brett plays for Colorado College. Some of you might have heard of that school. And your son, Andrew, is still in youth hockey in Edina in Minnesota. Tell us about when that journey started. Where were you at in your career, in your life? And maybe some of the trials and tribulations that you experienced along the way. Yeah, so you mentioned my career. Um, I wrapped up my, my pro career playing in the International League in Houston um, after, after my NHL career. 
And our son, Brett, is the oldest, born in 01, was born right after uh, my pro career ended. So my kids were never part of my my playing career, never saw me play. And um, I think they think I played in the olden days, uh, <laughs> which, which is kind of true. I mean, the game has has changed a lot and the skill level is higher and the speed is higher because of the rule changes and all that. But anyway, um, and then Hannah was born in 02. And so they are 21 and almost 20, uh, respectively. And then Andrew is uh, 16. And so, you know, I was retired. Um, I was in the life after hockey and starting a second career. And they were they were born and we moved back to Minneapolis and Edina specifically. And we happened to live near a pond. And obviously I was probably always going to put them into hockey. Um, and And we did. And, but, you know, in the beginning, it was just see if they want to get on their skates. And, and right. for Brett, the first time I put him on skates and, and I, and I set him down, he, his skates hit the ice and he picked his feet up and like, he didn't want his feet. He didn't like the feeling of the skates and being on the ice and all that. And then we'd go to the, we'd go to an outdoor rink nearby and he'd want to take off his skates and run around in the snow. And, you know, I'm like, Hmm, geez, I was kind of hoping he wanted to skate more, but you know, but you have to let your kids run around and play in the snow when they're six years old. Right. So right. Uh, we did that, but eventually took a loving to the game and, and he's um, worked really hard and now he's playing D one hockey and kind of Hannah took to it pretty quick. Um, and, and we had Andrew in it and Andrew uh, is a few years behind them, obviously years wise. And so he was getting dragged along when we were, um, they, you know, when Brett and Hannah were kind of pushing through, they, they always were really passionate about it, you know, shooting in the driveway, shooting pucks and everything like that. So, um, yeah, they've, uh, they've, they've worked hard and achieved a lot. And, you know, I just told them recently, just so you know, I'm really proud of you and you've, you've done enough. Like you don't have to feel like you have to achieve more or whatever. Like I just felt like, you know, coming from me, cause I do check in with them weekly and give them my two cents maybe. And, we don't talk a lot, but, uh, you know, I think as a former pro hockey player, I also have to be a little careful of how much pressure I put on them or, or whatever. But they're, they're young adults now and they're, they've figured out, you know, they're playing the game because they want to play the game and it's taken them to some pretty cool places. Yeah. Uh, Tom, I was going to say, <clears throat> you know, knowing, knowing that we, we do, you know, get the, the opportunity to uh, interview a lot of ex pros that are parents. And I would imagine, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, when you're in the stands as a youth hockey parent and you see the other parent, right? The parent that doesn't, and we talk, we talk about the word perspective a lot. And the parent that doesn't like that, that when you set your kid on the ice and he lifts his feet up and he wants to be in his sneakers and run around in the snow instead of skating, the anxiety that a lot of us get as parents, right? That, oh my God, like this is just not meant to be you know, at, at, at three. And you maybe, could you talk a little bit about that, about, and you don't have to name any specific people, but the type of other athletes that came through with your other two older uh, kids and what their anxiety level looked like compared to from where your view was. Right. And, and also, and, and, and also and, yeah. And there's the temptation of putting pressure on kids because of your background and your passion. Right. Right. And, and, in, and in Minnesota, right. It's a, it's a way of life. It's a right. lifestyle and really Minnesotans that 
it, most of them, not all of them, you'll meet some families that just aren't hockey families, but most are and have some connection to it. And, and they really do have a strong interest in getting their kids into it because they know it's going to be a important thing socially status wise and things like that. You know, um, you know, and Mike, when you were asking me that question about observing, you know, in the stands and things like that, I was thinking the other day about how maybe it's the other side of the coin, but parents, when their kid is maybe he's eight or nine or 10 and he's showing some, you know, some passion for the game and he, and he, and maybe he or she is better than most, or just like takes to, to a fish like water, whatever have you. I notice that those parents, they get, they get too excited too fast and they want to all of a sudden go all in. They're like, Oh, this is awesome. My kid is going to be good at hockey. And, and they, they may be hot. They may be good. And they maybe are going to be good. But I think at too young of an age, they get, they just get a little too wrapped up in it. And, and then sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't because you don't know a kid, you don't know what's going to happen with a kid from age 10 or 11 and 12 to when they're 16, 17 or 18, right? If, if you've had kids that go through that phase and I've had two of them now, um, yeah, there's, there's kids that were, rock stars when they were 10 and 11 and they weren't even part of the high level hockey when they were 16 or 17. Tom, we say it all the time. We say it all the time. All bets are off during puberty. You just never know how a kid is going to come out after that. And I said, you just said it there, the best kid at 10 or 12, who I'm not knocking anyway, you might grow five inches. Another kid might grow five inches. There, there are a lot of things that happen in that time period <clears throat> some would call them distractions, but let's just say your mind isn't focused singularly on one thing at that time. So it just, it can right. completely change your, your child and you go in all in at 10, 11. Uh, it's almost, almost right. unfair to the kid. Imagine all the kids in Minnesota and Toronto that all play hockey. They all have to play hockey, right? Now good or bad. I mean, I think it's great. If I'm in a community that everyone wants to play hockey, I'm like, this is great. But the NHL is not made up of every single kid from Minnesota and Toronto, right? So the, uh, the when you see the pen, and I'm in I'm in Fairfield County, Connecticut. We have, I mean, w every five miles there's another pro hockey player popping out of here, and but that doesn't but but there's so many kids, there's so many other athletes, and I think you know knowing that if your kid does have a a, a pension for being a really great looking hockey player at eight and nine. They're certainly not elite, right? There's no elite athletes until you're playing right. elite hockey. But if you're if you're an elite eight-year-old and a nine-year-old and a ten-year-old in our world, then I think what you're saying is, okay, that's great, but don't get all caught up in the fact that you know you got to miss everything else in life because the fact is, if you're really that good and you're going to progress, you're going to progress even if you miss that Friday night practice and go to a school dance, and even if you miss, you know. A, a practice because you got to go to your grandmother's 95th birthday. You know, right. it's probably things you got to balance. And, and Lee talks about this a lot on all his other, you know, a, a satellite podcasts about, <laughs> you know, a mental, mental awareness and mental toughness and, and just being in a situation where when you're eight or nine or 10, don't miss. Cause I think you're, you, I, I bet you, I, I could guarantee I could say the same thing. If I asked you like, well, what, what is the rush? Like, like every, Every parent of an 18, 19, or 20-year-old that I know inevitably says the same thing. Oh, man, it went so fast. I, I wish I would have let my kid do a couple of these other things because at the end of the day, they miss so much. 
and they didn't get and they didn't get that they didn't get the end result that I thought they should have got. Right. And so they sacrificed some things. I think a couple things that I, I, I do want to throw out there. You know, one I sometimes hear people like to quickly say, Hey, your kid's not going to the show, your kid's NHL, they're not going to the NFL or whatever. And and I'm not, I don't want to, I never want to steal a kid's dream. Mm. And quite frankly, and you just mentioned, Mike, you know, you see players come out of your area that reach high levels and Christy, probably all, we all see it, but it's pretty prevalent in Minnesota, right? So it's hard to tell a kid, hey, you're not going to play D1 hockey or you're not going to play pro hockey because quite frankly, my kids see it all the time. I mean, they go to the rink and there's pro players in the summer that are training and they're all from around Minneapolis and the Twin Cities and what have you and up north. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's, I would never want to be a dream crusher, right? But you have to keep everything in perspective. And then the other thing about the kids is, you know, people will think, well, he's in their head, they're thinking, well, he, she's a good player. She's, she's, and she's passionate about it and she loves it. They, you know, people always say, I mean, if you were to say, hey, why don't you back off a little bit? Oh, but she loves it. She loves playing hockey. She loves it. It's like, yeah, well, my dog loves his treats too. But if I gave him 24 seven, you know, he's, it's going to be too much. Right. So I have to really look at the aggregate of what the child is involved in and, you know, got homework and maybe they, they're playing a second sport and, and putting on the equipment eventually will get to be not the fun part. Playing part is fun, but if they're 11, 12 years old and they're going to the time a week and have to put on that equipment lug the bag and everything it starts to be a little bit too much if it's that if it's that often during the week so you know i i think if there was a time where my you know my daughter or son would say you know do i have to go to practice tonight if it's a you know, if it's a in season yeah but if it's a summer skate i'd be like no go have your sleepover it's fine you know, it's, yeah. i love that um that is so important and how do you feel about putting you know, eight, nine, 10 year olds, and I've seen it more and more into elite travel teams at such a young age. Yeah, again, um, pretty unnecessary. Um, we're pretty fortunate in Minnesota that you don't have to go very far to find, you know, lots of leagues and teams and play. But I understand around the country. I was just in Arizona this past weekend. A friend of mine um, is heavily involved in the Junior Coyotes and has been for, for, uh, I don't know, 20 years. Um, and he played hockey at Minnesota Duluth. His name's Mike DeAngelis. Um, and, and so I've been introduced to, you know, that realm of, of, of hockey, but pro hockey players have retired there and Austin Matthews has come out of there. And, and so now hockey's real big there. They see lots of travel hockey, right? And same thing in, in the other parts of the country. Um, but when they're that young, you're better off using your time and your money it, it uh, in development, right? I mean, you don't have to go travel to a tournament. Um, try to put together a little team of eight skaters and play four on four, or you know, and take a break and or, or get twelve skaters and play four on four and six on a team. So there's always two on each side resting, whatever. Like you don't have to go play in a tournament to get noticed or get on my hockey rankings or whatever you think you want to do. I don't know, but you're right. It's it, some of that. It can be really delayed, um, but people start thinking they need exposure and, and they want the, they want to be on a team that's nationally ranked and all this fun. Stuff. It's fun. 
let's see, I will say there's a positive side of it, like all the time that parents spend with their kids and, you know, there's some good to it too, but there could be some, some downsides. So you're, so you must've been, you had to be, uh, I must've butt dialed you over the weekend. Cause you had to be, you had to be in the rink with me this weekend. And so I was in, I was in a, um, so I just want to go, I just want to touch on this real quick because I'm a huge fan of the Minnesota model. Right. I mean, we talk about on the East coast, we have Dave Starman. It's out here who does a lot of college hockey programming. Sure. He's like, you know, he's like, Oh my God, why, why are we able to do this in this one little area of the country and we can't replicate it. And I had the, I, I had the pleasure yesterday. So a long conversation with um, one of your foes there, Stefan Mateau, who, uh, you know, uh, you know, was, you know, in that, in that devil, you know, New Jersey rivalry there and all, you know, oh, yeah. and all that, that was a great time to be a, uh, a New York sports fan. Um, you know, I know Lee was just talking about how great it is to be a Philly fan right now, but if you were in New York and in, in 94, 95, whether you're a devil ranger or whatever, you know, it was, it was a good time to be there. And I think when I started talking uh, to him about that's, that's how I think about it. I'm like, why do I have to take my six crappy kids and go across two bridges and two tunnels to play somebody else's six crappy kids? Like, is it is it because of, is it because of the community you have in Minnesota that creates like like I can almost guarantee that your daughter and son battled harder against each other like in open hockey and sticks and pucks and pond hockey than you don't have to tell them to battle right because they just you're like please stop hitting each other like stop it like you got to stop battling and I think that's isn't that where I mean that's what you're saying right is why don't we create environments to and because development i think in our world development is a is like is a bad word for parents because they're like they think development's not fun like development's hard work like development is oh you got to put the work in well no why can't development be fun why can't be in a fun great you know why can't you play the same kids every weekend play music and and you know have announcements but create an environment where you don't have to travel you don't have to segregate onto elite teams um prior to puberty prior to teenage years now and i and i do 100 we've had these conversations on this podcast a lot about you know the virtues of going on tournaments and going away and traveling with your team all great but overall for 22 25 weeks 30 weeks in your hockey season why can't we make development part of the fun of playing and and why do you think it is that Minnesota, and I know there's been a lot of battles there uh, about, you know, town teams and community hockey, but why is it that you're able to stay so strong in these communities and not fight the elite model, you know, not, and not give into it? Yeah. So the, the community-based model and it's, it's been great, you know, and I don't want to, but I don't want to say it's like utopia because, you know, yeah. Minnesota, and in the Twin Cities, you're pretty good at hockey in the off season, right? In the summer seasons, and you've got the financial wherewithal, and plenty of people do. They they get in, they get the club team, a AAA team, and they will start traveling around, um, or you know, going to tournaments in Chicago, Winnipeg, Toronto, Detroit, maybe out to Boston. You know, there's some, there's, there's that's going on here too. But I mean, the community based model is strong i think because pretty much each town has enough uh, a lot of kids that can play right all the way through 
There's a lot of kids playing. Each town has their own arena and it's a municipal arena. It's owned, it's publicly owned, right? It's not a privately run arena. And as soon as you have a privately run arena and that's your business, you need to figure out how can I maximize profit? And the way you do that is by running teams, right? So then the arena has the club, club has as many teams as they can and charges as much as they can at all different levels and finds as many ways to for that arena, right? For that business. Um, there's, so there's, we don't have the same business model financially. Yeah. These are supported by taxpayers. Um, and, and that's part of it. And then the, the whole community-based model is, you know, we got Swartz, Peewees, Bantams, Midget, um, or, and, and it flows right into that high school. And then you have all these towns, right? And each town has its own own club, but it's not a club hockey. And then so the rivalries are there. Uh, you have to drive 10 minutes to get to the next rink to play each other. So it's it's proximity. It's a business model. It's the, it's the community-based, um, I think, you know, just culture that Minnesota hockey has. But we talked a little bit off uh, that, you know, little by little, it, there's there's some uh, pecking away at that where an academy rolls in and they go, hey, you should come to our academy because you'll develop even better. Now we're on to that development conversation. And, you know, you can, um, you know, you can practice on ice instead of going to your public school gym class. And, you know, they, they pitch they pitch these families and families that are passionate about hockey will they'll give it a go. Um, the other interesting thing was that during the pandemic, um, when schools were, you know, online and shut down and you had to be at home, some of these academies, they weren't holding to those, those laws or rules or guidelines. No. And, you know, it actually was considered a bonus or a plus. If you were in one of those academies or those schools, um, you, you got to keep going to school and you got to keep skating on the ice or whatever. And so um, <clears throat> at some of that, online schooling has turned parents on to, well, shoot, you know, I don't, the public school system is goofy and I'm just going to start sending my kid to this other academy anyway. I don't know. And then talking with my friend, Mike down in, in Arizona, you know, he said he, he coaches a, a U18 um, junior coyotes team. And, you know, he said he's got some of these kids that are going to these academies by day and they get that extra ice time and they get that, um, you know, some skills and drills during the day, but then they show up for his practice and he likes to run a high tempo practice. And this guy's a former pro hockey player in Europe. He's a very good coach. Um, and these kids show up and they're already kind of tired. Like you can't, can't get them to play at their top level and at the pace he wants them to play at because they've already spent a bunch of their energy, um, at, in the, in the afternoon or you know, in the morning at this academy, you know? Hmm. Oh, it's a, it's a conundrum that, you know, people have to figure out, but they can't help themselves. Sometimes they just think more is better, or they want to cover their bets, you know, and they think, well, I'm going to hedge here. If this doesn't work out, then I got this. I think, I think, I don't know. Right. But business wise, right, Tom, only one kid has to make it to make it look good. And that's a shame. I mean, that's, that's the reality. I mean, right. The one kid you go, look what the, look what we did. Look at this kid. But they don't right. they don't see the carnage that they left, you know, with the with the other 18 right. that didn't. 
And right. I think we see that on the East Coast all the time that, you know, a high school kid mm-hmm. that's playing club or academy, and then he goes to his high school practice, and there's like, you know, and the levels are a lot different. Yes. And, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, geez, like the kid doesn't, you know, I, I talked about it even as a college recruiter. Uh, we just talked to a coach last, last uh, episode and just about the fact that these kids, you know, they, they don't understand in practice is where that development really happens. And they've got to go, they've got to come at it at like the top speed. But if they're coming and just going through the motions, then at the end of the day, it's, they're really not getting any benefit out of it anyway. So you have to start weighing like, well, where is, you know, if the one kid does make it, which is probably a kid that's going to make it anyway. And a kid that's, you know, a special athlete. That's, I think what we see, that's what we, that's all we see. And we see, Oh, that that's why I got it. You know, cause you know, to kind of wrap this up on, on this part of it, but we all see the kid that everyone says, well, that's more like my kid than not. Like I'm not, my kid's not the other 18. He, he or she is the one. Right. And I think we all get that. That's, and that's at the end of the day where, where these, I think the biggest part with the parents and, and organizers come in is that we have to do a better job of, of creating an environment for the whole and not for the one. Yeah, uh, yeah. But for the per- for the person in business, they just need the one. Well, Mike, and I, I want to jump in real quick too. And and Tom, you talked you talked on this at the beginning of the episode, and Christy and Mike and I talk about this a lot. There's got to be more accountability on parents, ourselves included, to really ask yourself, <clears throat> what is the goal? What is my goal? Because I'll tell you right now, <clears throat> excuse me, if your goal as a parent is to make your kid a professional hockey player. I think I think we have a priority issue right there. All right. The goal, and again, everyone's got to do this their own way. I'm kind of just speaking for myself. My goal is to make a good human being and to use the game as a vehicle for that to happen. If my kids show some talent, and more importantly, Tom, as you said, some passion, some love, some drive that, hey, I want to make the NHL. I don't care if they're eight or 18 when they say that. I say this a lot. You do not have to support their dream, but you have to support their right to have a dream. All right. You have to support that. Right. So going back to what you said, Tom, again, I never tell a kid they can't make it. I hate when I hate when coaches say that I hate it. Don't take that away from them. Number one. Number two, what are the contributing factors to making something come true? What's more valuable? The kid pursuing something, maybe not achieving it, but understanding how to pursue something and work hard and understand that life A is not fair. But if you put the work in, you have the opportunity to strive to earn something. We're, we're forgetting a lot of these basic lessons. And Mike, as you said, we're leaving kids behind because you have one superstar that did it. Parents, the goal has got to be to make a good person. Good people make good players. I cannot tell you how many unbelievably talented hockey players I have seen burn out because they do not have this side of the equation. All right. And I'm not saying every player that ever made the NHL was an outstanding citizen, but I'll tell you what, a majority of the ones that I meet are pretty damn good people. All right. Uh, sorry. I'm getting yeah. mad, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. The, the passion is awesome. Um, I think I would say that, and I, maybe this is Minnesota. I spent most of my time in Minnesota, but I, you know, I go to the USHL showcase, which has, U18s and U16s and U15s involved. And I went to the Nall Showcase, the North American Hockey League, which is in Blaine here. Same thing. So during those weekends, aside from the junior teams that are here, there's 50 to 60 other teams that are 18s and 16s. And I try to go out to 
those rinks in those games too and and get a feel for what's going on um because i want to try to have my finger on the pulse of, of what's going on across the country right hockey triple a hockey and everything but um i'm not you know i'm not in massachusetts day in and day out on a regular wednesday night lee i will say this i dare say that most parents would say well i know my kid's not going pro but they really want hope and expect that they're going to play division one sure and i would i would also venture to say that the parents that hope for that d1 dream act as crazy as anyone sure yeah, it's just or as any, intense. Any, any destination in the game should not be more important than the destination of your child as a human being. Right. That's, that's what I'm saying. I don't care if it's AAA midget hockey. It, that, what is your goal as a parent? It should not be just to create a hockey player. That is, that's just not good enough for me. Sorry. No, that's right. Just as they pursue that and they have that passion, you know, even if they don't make D1, D2 is what and not that many d2 schools but division three is great hockey club hockey is fantastic hockey so even if they don't reach that upper echelon they've already you know they may find another dream and be happy and satisfied and they'll have the skills it doesn't take away from them and no i i want to say i i'd like to explore that or broaden the conversation not right here now but on on d3 hockey and and club hockey because you know i think i don't know what the percentage is or or, you know what happens but i think a fair number of kids they aim for d1 and at least on the boys side you know they usually have to have to go through junior hockey and if they don't make division one that probably means they played at least two years of junior maybe three in a lot of cases and by that time, I can understand them having been through the meat grinder and just being kind of over it. Mm-hmm. If you've played three years of junior in the NAL or in the in USHL, which means that two years ago your dream was alive and all of a sudden it's not going to work out, you know. But I don't like the idea of kids walking away from it because clearly mm-hmm. the game. And I think if they would just like take a breather. Okay, it's it's a disappointment that you didn't make Division One, but keep playing the game. It's going to be good for you to be on a team, to right. have to have a social support system at your at your club team or your Division Three school. Um, I, I get that sometimes the the dream and the motivation behind D one is that you can get a scholarship, right? Maybe you can cut your tuition in half, which is obviously tempting and maybe necessary for a lot of people, but you can figure out if you can afford or figure out um, what's going on in division three hockey. I mean, talk about having a great experience and I'll share this story with you. This is kind of an interesting story. I was talking to a D one coach, East coast, big school in Massachusetts. Um, good hockey, really good hockey program. And he, we were, we got into this conversation at a rink once about two years ago. And he said, you know, I sometimes kind of, he almost felt bad for some of the kids that end up making their team hmm. one Boston school team. And he said, because, you know, those fourth line guys, we, we own their bodies and their butts just as much as the first line guys. And they have to do all this work 
and they don't get to enjoy their summers. They're on campus all summer long and training and working out. And you know what? Maybe maybe that's fine for, for a kid that he's happy and proud that he made his goal was to be on a D1 team and he's on it and he's at a big school and, and it's fine. But he's like, you know, there's some kids that could go play and be like the best player on their Division three school team. And they could have their summers pretty much off and go and hang out with their friends and family and go to the lake or, you know, go on the boat or go to the shore and have just a little bit better lifestyle than basically doing all the work and sitting on the bench. Yeah. And I like, I like the, I mean, even to, even to drill that back down to youth hockey, right. That you don't always have, you, you we, and, and Chrissy, right. We've had these, we've had these episodes where you don't have to pick the top team, even if you're a top player, like you could pick the team that fits your needs as a family. And as a kid, you don't always have to be going through the, the, the grind. And I hate that word. Like imagine like in youth hockey it was like, Oh, it, it, this season's grind. I mean, a grind, you're 12 years old. Like how right. could it be a grind? Like the no. grind should be, you know, and, and, and I think that that ability to be a part of a club to be a part of something, whether it's band chess, whatever it is, if it, if it happens to be hockey and your kid loves hockey, then use that, use that as the carrot to say, Hey, keep working hard, go to school, or, or wow, this is a great social circle, but don't allow that to say, well, I'm, I want this so badly. And I, and, and that's where we're parents, right? We have to be able to bring in and have a conversation and say, well, okay, I'm going to try to help you here. And this is why I want to guide you. This is great. But you know what, if you got to try these other things at 12, 13, 14 years old, who knows? I mean, I've seen really, really talented hockey players that are really talented lacrosse players. And by 16 years old, they're not playing hockey anymore, but they're going to Duke. I mean, just right. because, because they, they, but they, because they're part of something, but they allowed all these other experiences to help them right. uh, with, their, with their, with their end experience. So yeah. I think for all of us as youth hockey parents, it doesn't have to be, if your main goal is to get your, your child to Lee's point to a great place as a human being, <clears throat> use hockey. I think it's right. great, it's a but don't overuse it. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I think, you know, once I saw that um, Brett and Hannah were, were pretty good hockey players, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think, yeah, they, they, we might get them to D1 hockey, right? I mean, I'm not going to lie, right? But then I would have to catch myself, and I'm going to bring this back to what, what Lee was talking about and something I've been thinking about recently, um, is, is just tempering it, right? Because then I, I, I'm fortunate to have the, my own life experiences and and enough self-awareness that I'm a former pro NHL hockey player that won the Stanley cup. And my daughter actually probably alerted me to it one day we were at breakfast table and, and I was going to start asking, making some suggestions about, you know, she was probably 12 or 13 and she kind of looked at me and, and my kids, these two kids, they just, they get a little either uncomfortable or annoyed, probably annoyed. And I don't do it a lot because it, learned pretty quickly but she's like she basically said dad can't this just be my thing like i think i got this you know or i'm i'm one of the best good for her right now yeah yeah it was great it was great she kind of put me in my place um or or she she wasn't she was expressing how she was feeling but i think they felt like okay you played hockey i get it you know everything about hockey i get it but and you want to be involved but i kind of just want this to be my thing too so that's another thing that um, parents could could maybe think about. 
Lee, you talked about what's your goal, right? What's your goal on this thing? And, and, and if your goal, if, if everything you're thinking about is D1 all the time, then that's how you're going to operate. Mm-hmm. 12, <clears throat> you keep, if you keep focusing on D1, 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 you're going to do crazy, irrational, expensive things. Right. Exactly. And you your, have- your, your daughter, a smart cookie, by the way, did we mention Harvard? <laughs> yeah, she, she works hard. Yeah, she's and that journey wasn't easy for her either. That obviously is a te- is testimonial to her just hard work and get in achieving that dream. So yeah. yeah, yeah, but you know, yeah, I was just gonna finish off on that. You know what your what your source of of focus is will drive your actions, right? And right, if your focus is, I just want to make sure I've got this well rounded kid, well adjusted kid, mentally healthy child then you're going to do things different than if you're like, if, if, if you just keep thinking on, I want my child to get to D1. It's not just hockey, right? Any sport. We see it in soccer, lacrosse, baseball, what have you, dance. You know, people just get, if, if that's what they keep thinking about is, well, for he or she to get to here, I have to do this, this, and this, and this. And then all of a sudden you're, you're not thinking about other, other right. Um, options, other avenues, other activities, other mindsets, you know, and it, it just gets, it gets off track. Tom, what, what I say is this in, <clears throat> cause I've had conversations with parents about this too. And, and look, when I talk about parenting, I really am talking about my own experience. Everybody has to do it their own way. There's different social situations. There's different home situations, right? right. But when I say, what's your goal, I'm really talking about what is your foundation for parenting? And, and I always tell everybody this, and, and I, I make myself vulnerable with this. I have no problem saying this on the air. My goal every day at the end of each day is my kids know I love them and I know they love me. That is my starting foundation. And I'll have parents say, well, what about competing? And what about sports? They're all there for me too. But that has to be the top goal for me every day. And then it transcends down from there, the other items. So I'm fine pushing my kid to try harder or pushing my kid to practice as long as it does not compromise that other thing I just said. And that's, that's how I do it. So to your point, if your top goal and look, look, if you're listening to this show, you love your kids. <laughs> There's no question on if parents love their kids. We've talked about this too. Sometimes you love them so much. You do things you're not comfortable with, or you do things that you look back and go, ah, I pushed too hard. But the truth is, is you have to have a foundation of why you're doing this. And if you want your kid to make a D one team or whatever, it doesn't matter what it is, a high level of anything just make sure you have a priority set of, of why you're doing it, how you're doing it, and what the goal is, because it, I, it is disturbing at times. I mean, we all have seen that. Everyone listening has seen that. The level at what parents go. I saw a person yelling at their eight-year-old goalie the other day on how to make better saves. And it's like the kid can barely stand. What are you doing? <laughs> I wasn't in your rink this weekend. He was literally eight. He was an eight-year-old kid. It was a might game. Right. In the beginning right. of the season, kids got all the pads and it, it, they were being critiqued by their parents on the form. And I just was I mean, that kid is is going to hate playing goalie after a while. Right. That, and then that kid didn't even put on the equipment. Right. Like, right. Right. Parent had to put on the equipment. Put, right. Parent signs him up, puts on the equipment, puts him on the ice and then tells him he's not doing a good job. It's just 
I just like I didn't even ask for this. Yeah, but Tom, isn't isn't that the guy in in section two eighty five that's saying, "Get in front of that shot"? What's wrong with you? Come on, you know, are you kidding me? How soft can you be? Yeah, you know, and they think that's all of. I mean, I think I would I would venture to say that you know. So what I love is like my kids that play other sports that I didn't play. I feel so out of my element. Like I'm sitting there going, "Oh my god, is this like actually good or is he not good?" Like like that's the sport parent I love. I love the yeah. one that has like just has no clue Be- over the one that doesn't have a clue. That's that that read, you know, how to hockey by dummies. Like, I just think it's the one that just says, I don't know. I just I think he's doing OK. And I, I just keep bringing him here and he wants to come or she wants to do those extra things. You know, I, I told her she couldn't do these extra five camps, but they can do this camp. Like those are the ones that I try to model after because I forget that I'm in this world right. of hockey every day. I can give more knowledge than anyone. I know that if I'm in a room, like if I was you, I'd be sitting there, you know, going with my Stanley Cup ring. I said, so what, what are you thinking? <laughs> what, are you, what, are you, what are you thinking about this again? But, yeah. but in the reality is you're immersed in it so much. You probably do know more. It's almost the ability to say like your daughter wants you to do right. Saying, okay, I'm going to kind of step back. Like I don't know anything. And I'm just going to support you. And, and if I can help you and when you ask for my help and I always like, even the coach, even the teams I coach at my own kids, I'm always trying to tell the parents, like if I'm coaching my own son on this team, I want you to benefit from it. Just like your kid is my kid. Like take that knowledge, take the opportunity. Cause I'll tell you right now, if I'm in a room with a bunch of accountants, I could tell you, right, I'm, I'm picking their brain. I can guarantee. You. I'm like, well, what do you do here? Cause right. I don't know. I don't know. Right. That's not my expertise. My expertise is in this field. And I think people could take advantage of that, but I, but I almost have to be able to say, well, maybe they don't want that. So maybe I got to back off. And yeah. we want it on the my, podcast. My though, Mike. We want you here. That's, that's, yeah. it. I, <laughs> no, I, that's I, my I, outlet. This is my, this is my <laughs> outlet. Have you been recruited to coach your kids teams over the years? You know, I coached them in the beginning when they were, yeah. they were quite young. And then um, sort of, it's sort of a loosey goosey written rule, but, you know, when the kids were, if they make the top team as Peewees or U-12s, they didn't necessarily want parents coaching if they didn't have okay. it. But what ended up happening, on the boys' side, that was the case. There wasn't really a dad coaching. The girls' side, there was some dads that were coaching their daughters. But um, they were really good coaches, and so I, they didn't really need me. And I kind of felt like what's probably better, as long as they're getting good coaching, sure. the team doesn't really need me in there. I'm happy to, to stand back. Again. Wow. Um, good for you, because I would think that would be kind of tempting, too, uh, if you didn't have good coaches. Yeah. Just and, may, you know, maybe these established guys. Hold that stand covering. I might know a thing or two. Oh, well, <laughs> listen, you know, there's always a parent meeting, right? And so. Yeah. The coach would stand at the front of the room with the parents. And one year, this coach, he was like, I know we got a former pro hockey player in here, but I don't <laughs> hear from you guys. And, you know, you know, when the coach tries to tell the parent, does tell the parents kind of what the ground rules are, like 24-hour rule, you know, if your son or daughter doesn't play as much as you like, you got to wait 24 hours to call and ask why or figure it all out. But he kind of called me out. It was kind of awkward. It was like... <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and other time. You're our nothing son was, special. <laughs> our, our son was a peewee and, and had, had, a, had a good coach. Um, 
and he was a hockey dad. He had a kid on the team, and he has one, two, three, four, four of his five kids have played Division One hockey too. Um, but to his credit, he stood up in front of the room and he said, "We got a really good team," and they did. They had a team that I think like nine out of the fifteen boys have played Division One hockey. Wow. Um, anyway, he said, "We've got a really good team." I think I know enough of what I'm doing. The only, the only way this is going to get screwed up is by you guys, because the parents are the only ones that'll screw this up. You guys, so true. you guys get Good for him. squirrely and getting my business and getting the team's business. Or if you're backstabbing, you know, each other's kids about this or that, he goes, that's the only thing that's going to mess this up. You guys can just sit back and enjoy the season. Um, we'll be, we'll be fine. And which was a good message to the parents, you know. I wish every coach would say that in the beginning of the season because I have seen time and time again parents really mess things up, even when we start off as such a great team and everybody's on the same page. Then parents get upset because their kid doesn't have enough playing time, doesn't like the coaching style, thinks they know how to coach better than them. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the season, it's chaos and mutiny and they want, right? Well, I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd be interesting. I was just thinking earlier, you guys haven't done this and I don't know if you could get kids to be completely candid, right? But it's almost like you'd like to be a fly on the wall, but you know, it's that in locker rooms across the world or country, kids are at some point probably going, man, these parents are donkeys, (laughs) you know, or, or my dad is, I hate when my dad does this or that, or my mom is crazy because right. well, she says this or that. And yes. It's, sometimes they're like, oh my God, you guys stop. You're, you're crazy parents. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, I, I hope it. all the parents listening. And if you can, I go, you think I'm crazy. Did you see that? You know, <laughs> right. Exactly. Compared to yeah. what, you know, I'm, I'm always, crazy. I'm always, they take the curious road, not the judgmental road. And, I always get curious about with parents, you know, if when, how they how they look at a situation. So let, let's say, Christy, to your point, let's just say they don't like the coaching staff or they don't like another player on the team. Right. You know, again, what's the first response? Is it accountability or is it pointing the finger? Yeah. Right. Is it that, okay, this is adversity we're facing. This kid is mm-hmm. doing something wrong to you. I'm not going to blame this kid. How how are we going to achieve accountability with this situation? I don't think right. those conversations are happening enough in locker rooms or in the cars, right? It's home. Oh, yeah. I, I think a lot of finger pointing is going on right now. Uh, oh. from, from, this is a national problem. This is probably a global problem. It's right. not just a hockey problem. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it, it, it that's part of the conversation, I think, you know, with parents. It's just what is – again, it's all out of love, right? You want to protect your kid. And, and we've talked about this before. It's easier – to protect your kid when they're hurting and be mama or papa bear than it is to help them overcome adversity. It's easier. Right. But that's the tough part of parenting. That's one of the hardest things. Oh, it's super hard. Look, I, I wanted to go back to what Mike said, Mike, you brought up a great example. I don't think I've ever talked about this on the show. I, I, and for those of you listen, know this, I, I was experiencing just above average levels of anxiety last year with my son uh, playing, which is weird because we, I'm on this show, but I'm a parent like anybody else. And I remember Mike, again, curious, the curious, not judgmental mindset. My daughter was playing soccer. And I was just watching her play soccer. And I was so carefree and so just even killed and happy. And my, my curiosity was like, why am I so calm here and not with hockey? And it goes back to what we've saying. Well, I know hockey, 
I'm involved in hockey. And it was very hard for me to shut that off. But that experience with my daughter really checked myself. I really had to check myself and say, hey, listen, you got to start approaching hockey a little differently. And I did. Uh, and that sport against soccer really taught me of how am I going to the rink? What is my mindset when I'm going to the rink? Do I always have to say, you know, oh, I, you, you could do this better or this is how I would handle that if he's not asking. If he's asking, I'll, I'll tell him any, any, all the time. My daughter too. But I was amazed because I didn't know soccer, <laughs> how calm I was. And I was thankful for that moment because it allowed me to kind of, again, check myself and say, hey, you need to bring it down a notch in your own mind just about how you approach this. Now, <clears throat> Tom, and here's just the time I wanted to ask is, so I had a whole rundown of questions and I love that we didn't get to more than one of them because it just shows oh, how great of a guest you know. Sorry no, about fantastic. that. No, no, that's what we want. That's exactly what we want. That means the conversation went, went, went a great direction. Um, so I'm going to combine a couple of these questions just, just to ask you, you know, look, you <clears throat> in your playing career were always at the top in some form, right? Whether it was high school, college, or pro. So the, the question I want to ask you is this. Our kids today are under an immense amount of pressure, probably more so than any other time in history in terms of just scrutiny and eyeballs looking. So I wanted to ask you, could you dive into maybe the differences? Uh, and I won't date you here, but your your time in high school, college, into the professional ranks, the pressure you maybe felt and how that might differ from your own kids going through this today, because it's a totally different environment. Yeah, I felt pressure starting in college. Up to up to high school, you know, I was always excelled and one of the best players on my team and best player in the city. And you mentioned I was named Mr. Hockey. Which yes, which makes you the best in the state. Best in the, <laughs> makes me the best in the state. Yeah. I'll and then that was and, the, and and so and shortly after I was given that award, I was drafted 16th overall by Montreal. Right. Mm -hmm pretty high draft pick. I wasn't ranked that high, but I, I mean, I just went a little higher than I was projected, but all of a sudden I'm first rounder to Montreal. I go to play for the university of Minnesota and I had no mental toughness or skills to deal with adversity. And I got on the ice. I, you know, I didn't go play junior. And at that time, if you were, first round draft pick and you had a full scholarship to go to college, you just went straight to college. You know, it's less, less likely these days. Um, but I jumped from a really, I was in a really pretty mediocre league where I really excelled. And obviously I eventually achieved, you know, and kind of played up to my ability. So they weren't completely wrong, but or maybe I was never a 16th round or 16th overall level player, but um, I, I got to college and I was really struggling. I was slumping um, and coach was on me pretty hard. And I started, I lost all my confidence and I'd never had to deal with that before. So I was, and I was feeling pressure. And at one point, the scout that was responsible for drafting me, who had been watching me and watching me, and they basically kind of went off the board. They had two picks in the first round and they took me with their second pick at 16, he came to me at one point. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, you got to play better. He goes, I'm going to lose my job. Oh, and, and remember that was about mid season. How, how old were you? I was 18. Hey, I just oh. want to reiterate that. Not 19. I had turned 19 in the fall, but it was wow. fresh was a freshman in college. Wow. Playing bad for my college team. And I wasn't producing. And the coach was yelling at me. 
And then this guy came to me and said, you're going to cause me to lose my job. I stuck my neck Oof. with you. Uh, and I was like, you know, part of me was like, well, I didn't ask to be drafted, you know, but still I was like, felt a lot of pressure. Um, and so it took me a while. I, I, I think about hockey at night and just think in my head, like, how am I going to get out of this? How am I get out of this? And at that time you didn't have, you know, maybe a sports psychologist that you could go to. My parents didn't play sports and didn't play hockey and they, they couldn't really help me much. Um, and so I just would kind of lay it, lay in bed and grind on it. Um, and then, you know, then the kind of same thing happened when I got to, to the NHL, tough coaching, tough environment, had to fight through some confidence issues. And, you know, I, at one point, rest soul, he passed away, but he was hard on me. And I was a college American kid that, you know, not that rough and tumble going into play for a rough and tumble guy. He put the newspapers in front of me. They were the French newspapers. And he's like, I don't know if I can keep playing you. The, the press is writing all the time and it's not good. Wow. And, you know, just you're sitting across from the table and now I'm 22, still feel, even though I'm a young man, but it's all new to me and the pressure of playing for the Montreal Canadiens and the coach is saying, hey, the press is all over you. Um, and so, again, you start feeling these pressures. I think to, to try to speed this answer up, kids these days, you know, they're feeling the, the pressure from social media and all the noise that, that they are exposed to. Um, they see a lot of things, you know, they see the highlights of all different levels. They get pressure of the parents. We've sort of talked about if the, if the focal point is, hey, you got to make the double A team or you got to make, you know, we hope if it's implied that want to get you to um, D1 hockey, you know, there's some pressures, pressures that way. Um, but it's, it's parentally driven, I think. Um, sorry, I got a phone call that I have to get rid of. Um, I think it's, I think it's, it's more, it's driven more by the parents. I didn't have the parent pressure. I didn't have social media pressure. You know, I can imagine these days you even, you hear, you know, I follow social media and hockey, you know, media and stuff like that. And you can, you can only imagine um, that if people start critiquing a player or a young player on that type of platform, not to mention the stuff that's out of our vision, you know, in the, group chats and private chats and or DMs and all that. So I think there's those types of pressures these days that might even be hitting kids when they're younger and kids feeling like inadequate at a, at a young age where I never felt inadequate, you know, until I was in college. That's an important I mean, point. And there must've been a lot of pressure too, because you came up in, a, in an era, right? I mean, we had just won gold, right? And, and you, you were in well, that inspired me. Yeah. And, and it must've been a really, I mean, that must've been a positive side where you're like, wow, look at, I mean, we're, we're legit. I mean, back, because you got to remember, you know, back then, you know, college players weren't going into the NHL and, and like they do now. Not as much. No. So yeah. Then, yeah. So there was some of that pressure arriving as an American college player versus, you know, the players that come out of major junior hockey and the guys were great. Oh, I I mean, my teammates, they were fine. Um, They tried to help me, but they could help me so much, you know, if I'm wrong. I'm on the wrong side of the coach or not playing up to my ability, but I was a high draft pick. So I'm sure he was being sort of forced like, Hey, we got to play this kid. We're going to have to get him, get him going here. And the coach was like, it's going to cost me my job. 
Um, cause yeah. or, or coaches, you know, that's one thing I learned too. You get to pro hockey and sometimes you would assume that the coach and the GM are like thick as thieves. And sometimes they weren't because sometimes the GM, at least back then, maybe I think things have changed a little bit now and they figured out how to work and communicate better, but the GM hired the coach. And then sometimes the GM would tell the coach what to do. And the coach would sometimes push back and be like, Hey, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down playing the guys I want to play. It's not my fault. You drafted this kid and he's not playing that well, or I don't really like that kid's personality or I don't like his background, you know, whatever it's, it's better these days, I think, than, than it was back then. But the, when I, like you said, dating me, you know, I'm playing through the nineties, basically. Um, it was still old school, right? Like, coaches that were um, old school and rough and tumble. And a lot of times GMs and coaches that had played, you know, they just got those jobs. Well, they might not be very good communicators or they might not even be, you know, they might think they can put together a good team, but then they, they don't know how to build a, a good culture or their culture is really toxic. You know, the culture that they want to have is, is a toxic culture. And, um, and so there was, you know, there was things to navigate, um, as, as a, as a player that I never really had to navigate until I was an adult. So Tom, let me ask this a perfect follow-up to that. <clears throat> um, I know you're asked, or you've been asked many times in your life about winning the cup. All right. So I'm not going to ask you that. All right. Cause it's been documented. You just talked about culture. Tell me about the culture in that locker room that year. And then also, this is a question I always ask the championship moment's a great moment, but it's just a moment. There's adversity that leads up to that moment being possible. I think you just tapped on a lot of that, you know, in your younger years, how, how to how to be mentally tough. So tell me about the culture in New Jersey in the mid-90s, and then tell me about how you borrowed from your own experience to overcome, you know, and win 16 games. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that I means I love talking about that that team and, and the culture that, that evolved. And so I got there in 91, 92 Jersey devils were kind of middle of the road team, lower, you know, not terrible. Um, they had gotten into the playoffs. Some would have called them a Mickey mouse organization. Yeah. Some might have some <laughs> got a picture of Gretz behind me up there. That he's, there you go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So they, at one point they were a Mickey mouse organization, but you know, I got there with Stefan Richet from Montreal. I think the same week, is as Lou Lamorello, the GM, was able to obtain Scott Stevens through an arbitration that St. Louis had grabbed Shanahan, mm -hmm. Stevens. And I mean, immediately that starts, that changes the game. Maybe he didn't know it that week, but pretty quickly, Scott Stevens obviously has, has emerged as an unbelievable leader, um, a champion, a Hall of Famer, and and so pieces started getting put in there skill-wise, talent-wise, um, ability-wise. And uh, you got Scott Niedermeyer, who's a projected Norris Trophy winner, but he's 18. Uh, Martin Brodeur, I mean, hello. Uh, he's, he's in the minors, and, and we're like, like licking your chops a little bit. Um, and so all these pieces started coming in. And then... And we had Herb Brooks was a coach at, at one point um, for one year that didn't work great. Uh, but he was hard on me. Like I was, that was another year where I thought I get to play for Herb Brooks, the gold medal <laughs> coach. 
from Minnesota. Like this couldn't be any better. I skate like the wind. He likes guys that can skate. He skated up to me on the first day of practice. <laughs> just like, like in the movies, you know, like, well, first, and I think in the locker room at one point, he said, Hey, the legs feed the wolf. And that's all he said. And the next day, I think he came by, he goes, Chorsky. Remember what I said to you yesterday? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I heard I know what you mean, but yeah, so I, I, these lines in the movie, he actually, he said them. Um, but he skated up to me first time on the ice. I was so excited that I was going to get to play for Herb Brooks. And, and he said, I've been watching you my whole life and you're going to be, have to be a hell of a lot better if you think you're going to play for me. <laughs> and I skated away and I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> and, and my head went like, what if he, he probably has been watching me his whole life. Cause he's from, St. Paul, I'm from Minneapolis. St. Paul and Minneapolis don't really get along because they're the, you know, blue collar typically over there. And we're, we're on the other side of the tracks. And I just started, you know, my head started swirling and I thought I got, I got in my own head, but anyway, it's, it's a fun story now. And um, Herb was, he was challenging coach, challenged his players, but he was good. And he came to my dad's funeral. So that says it all right. Like, mm-hmm. He showed up at my dad's funeral and I was given the eulogy and looked out there and I was like, wow. So I know he didn't dislike me. Right. Um, but the, the, the pieces start. He was just trying to bring out the best in you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And coaches do that. And sometimes even my kids, our kids are getting challenged in college right now. And it's really easy to go. How dare they, you know, that coach doesn't know what they're doing, right? And that's because we love our kids. And and I, I will throw my wife under the bus. She's really, really mama bearish. Um, and I have to kind of stop her and go, maybe they're just trying to get the best out of them. Maybe they think there's more. Or, hey, you ever think about it from the coach's point of view? Coach is trying to win the game. Coach mm-hmm. is trying to win the game. There's a chance your child isn't playing well enough tonight or today or, or this week or lately that they just feel like they can win with them. And you have, that's a hard thing to accept, but you have to say, Hey, maybe they deserve it, you know? And, but then, you know, it is really hard. That is it's hard. hard. It's hard yeah. to basically look at, look at yourself or look at your kid and go, they're not cutting it. Right. And, and they have to look at themselves too. And I'm sure we call them and go, Hey, hang in there. You're doing great. I thought you played really well. You know, you did this and you did that. And they're like, thanks. And, and, but, they probably hang up the phone and, you know, they get video sent to them and they sit down the next meeting that they have and the date is all there or whatever. And they're probably going, yeah, my parents are being really nice, but the data says I wasn't very good. Yeah. So anyway, I want to answer your question because the culture part is so important. So then Jacques Lemaire and Larry Robinson arrive two legendary, you know, kind of iconic uh, Stanley Cup champions. Their their approach to the game was so um, methodical and logical, and they, the way they communicated and taught was very um, pretty straightforward, pretty calm, but very demanding. Like, here's the system we're going to play. Here's why it makes sense. And then, you know, now we've got, we've got Niedemeyer in the mix and Broder in the mix, and Scott Stevens is an amazing captain. And then we've got a layer of, of leaders like John McLean and Ken Danico and Bruce driver. Um, and then we've got some, like kind of another next layer of, you know, 
blue guys, Randy McKay and Tom Chorsky, and we got some young guys coming in, Billy Guerin and Brian Rolston and Sergey Breland, you know, these names at the time, people don't really know, but they're good hockey players and they're eventually going to be 10 year, 12 year, 15 year players. Um, and so the culture came to be uh, having a, a staff that we all respected. And then the staff showed respect to us. They, you know, whether you were playing or not, they never, they never, you know, belittled you or disrespected you or, or took your dignity away, which I thought is really important because that's not common in pro hockey and maybe even in college hockey and coaches don't see that you're actually affecting a player's dignity. Mm. It's unnecessary and it's harmful and it's toxic, but then we all kind of had a role, like kind of each, each line had their own identity. And then when we had to kill a penalty, we kind of had a group of guys that did that. And then we had another group of guys that went on the power play and you'll find, you know, when, when you get that culture, right, it's like a recipe. It's like a really good recipe. And you have to have these certain ingredients and, and Lou Lamorello delivers a lot of credit, really gruff and hard guy to, to please or, or, and abide by his boundaries and guidelines. He's got some pretty strict beliefs, but they ended up kind of helping us. Um, and, and so we had, we had boundaries and guidelines and, and, you know, important thing is values, right? Like a team has to establish or a coach should establish what are our values, right? Like our values are going to be consistency. And so if you show up every day, whether it's a game or a practice, you got to be consistently your best. And if you showed up on a day, I tell the story sometimes, I'm just to make up example, say we don't play for three days or two days and you went out the night before and you thought you're going to come in and, you know, you stayed up past your bedtime a little bit, went to a comedy show, had a couple beers, you know, because you're in the NHL and you want to enjoy your, enjoy, you know, your couple nights off. But if you didn't show up and practice at the level that Captain Scott Stevens expected you to, he might knock you right on your butt. Or he might come over and say, hey, get it together. Right? Like, I'm not having it. And so then you got some leadership from inside that are holding people accountable. Um, the coaching staff knows that, hey, if any of these guys get out of line, Stevens or McLean, McLean would have a different style. He would come over and he'd be like, hey, it looks like you're struggling or, you know, blah, 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 help you out before the coach had to do it. So we had, you know, standards, values, the right uh, relationships and connections on the team. Not everyone, you know, you didn't have to be best friends with everyone, but if there was a guy on the team say that maybe I, didn't love his personality and I wouldn't go out to dinner with him. I still respected him for the job he could do. Like, man, that guy shows up and he plays hard and yeah, I'm not going to go hang out with him because he's a nutbag. He's a little nuttier than I am. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to mind my P's and Q's here. This guy's a little better <laughs> than me, which is fine. But, um, but the guy does his job and I can respect that. So that was kind of the culture that was going on was, you know, these, standards and values that we all held to um there were fights there was a couple fights in practice at times too where two guys were so competitive so mad that maybe they weren't getting the ice time they wanted they the coach had moved them down a line that day so they had a green jersey instead of a, a red jersey and their ornery and they start button heads but then it was fine it was like we understood it we're like yeah we're all competitive we're all trying to win the stanley cup um 
that's okay that they're mad at each other today. They got they locked horns. You know, after practice, it was fine, and, and sometimes they'd laugh about it right after. Um, anyway, it was a really good culture, and I think when you have a good culture, it's based on, like I said, values and some some standards and some boundaries and guidelines, and everyone sticks to it, and everyone's held to the same. Accountability is another one that you mentioned earlier. Man, do I see too many situations where the coach lets one guy off the hook, one of his better players, or a guy that he's just has a, a bias that he likes better or lets them off the hook or makes an excuse for them. And then, and then holds other kids um, and players to a different standard. And not everyone has to be held to the exact same standard, but you can't just let other people get away with stuff. Um, yeah, I guess what I mean is not everyone has the same talent level, right? So you can't expect everyone to score the same amount of points or, make the same amount of plays, but there's sort of some rules like, Hey, we're not, you, we're not going to, we're not going to um, start practice until everyone does 10 pull-ups. Right. And then there's a kid that doesn't do 10 pull-ups and ah, it's okay. Well, just, you know, I'm just using mm-hmm. an example. And then everyone's like, well, how come he doesn't have to do 10 pull-ups? You know, that kind of thing that causes problems on teams. So accountability was always very consistent. Communication was, was regular. Hey, you were, you've been good here. We need to be better here. That's all I need to know. Sometimes it was amongst each other. Um, some, some self-policing internally because we had leadership and we had high standards and everyone knew what they were. Hey, you're not, that's not good enough. So I don't know. I'm, I've been all over the map, but maybe I've given. No, it's a great answer. Let, 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 me, let me ask this real quick as a follow-up. All right. And then I'll throw it to my co-hosts to kind of close it out. Cause we could talk to you for six years. I can tell. Um, is there a correlation between the teams that had great cultures and didn't have great cultures and winning and losing? 100%. You know, I think you see that in maybe in pro sports where a team will load up on free agents, go out and they'll sign the best players. And so they have more talent than, than most other teams, but they can't put it together. And that's because, um, you know, maybe the star players think it's all about them, right? We've seen that happen. And then these other guys are the rank and file are doing a lot of the work or the same work, or they're held to a different standard. Like guys, superstars get to make all the mistakes. And as soon as I make a mistake, I'm out of the lineup or they get all the glory. Uh, they stay out, they overextend their shifts or they steal, you know, they're not steal, they hog up all the playing time. And, you know, it just creates rifts and things like that. So, I mean, can't just have all the talent without all the standards and, and values, right? If you value certain things, then that has to be consistent. And sometimes you see that, that these, these superstar teams or high talent teams or a few talented players are get to do whatever they want and the other guys don't, um, then there's rifts. And then, is then when you get into adversity, you get into a slump, you get into a losing streak, there's no, there's no um, cohesiveness, right? Because there's division and superstars are probably like, well, I'm still scoring my points. It's not my problem. It's not me. These guys got to start doing more and vice versa. So it creates rifts. So the culture is so important um, from top to bottom. And again, I think when you walk into a, a, 
a restaurant or a, or a locker room or a company or a store, if you're kind of paying attention, you can feel that that business or that organization has a really good culture, kind of by the way the people are communicating and the way they're cooperating and the way they're working together. And in hockey, it's, man, these guys, they don't seem like they have the, all the best players, but they sure do play well together and they're winning a lot of games. And yeah, I and mean, all of a sudden, you know, the New Jersey Devils, where we we just snuck up on these teams and well, I shouldn't say snuck up because in 94, which Mike so eloquently pointed out, <laughs> we got to the Eastern conference game seven, double overtime and his friend, Stefan Mateau ended our season. Um, but it, we had taken that step and we felt pretty good about things. It was really disappointing, but I think almost immediately after that disappointment was we are like next year, we are, we're getting this done. Right. Right. You used it. And and we all felt that we didn't even, I don't remember talking about it, but I think we all just inherently felt like, okay, we've been this close. We're uh, next year. We're, we, we're going to be able to do this. And, and so um, we, you know, we get to the Stanley cup finals. Uh, we won, we were 16 and four in the end at the point at one, at we didn't have a great regular season. So we started on the road. And so at one, for a long time, we had the, most road wins to, that won a cup. We would won ten. We were ten and one on the road. Wow. We always started on the road, and we'd win those games. And then we played against the Detroit Red Wings, who had Sergey Fedorov and Steve Eiserman and Dino Cicerelli and Larry Murphy, and they, they were kind of they were kind of the favored team. And we swept them in four. And and I remember after a couple games, they couldn't believe they were down two. I couldn't believe we were up two. And and the next thing you know, it was just like four games and you'd won the cup. Hey, I'm going to say it again on the adversity front. Adversity is an assist, right? I think the Rangers gave you an assist. I think you gave the Red Wings an assist, right? And I was a Flyers fan, so we didn't get anything growing up. I just had my youth ended in 2000 by Scott Stevens. But I'll, I'll tell you what, is it, it, jokes aside, man, like as I've gotten older, you start to have so much respect for for your teams and those Red Wings teams and and those teams that succeeded because you see what they had to do to come together and you know it, it's funny Tom you mentioned this that you know there's when you look back at those mid '90s Devils teams now yeah there's a lot of Hall of Famers a lot of amazing players but really at the time maybe I mean even Brodor was not Brodor yet in at that time period it's that team won with an aggregate of players coming together and winning. There were really no, I, I say this lightly, there was no superstars on that team in, in terms of when you look at it now, it's like, oh, yeah, there was like seven or eight superstars. Back then, Stevens was known, but everybody else was kind of fresh, you know, and, and it's amazing. Yeah. So just to, again, to reiterate the point, look, you can't win without culture. So coaches, my question to you, what are you doing to build that culture? And then coaches and parents, how are you cultivating, creating a player that is a good culture player in addition to a good, talented player? These are things we can do starting at Adams. You do not have to wait till someone is 16 to start teaching them life lessons. All right, have we talked about it many times. I don't want to go into that too much right now, but right. that's part of the package if you want to create somebody who's going to succeed in life and in hockey. Yeah, I think not like I said, and I don't like to be – critical of coaches because it's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. Means it's a lot of time and money and effort. You know, you're, you're going from work to coach these kids and it's a thankless job. And, and a lot of times kids are hard. 
I, when I did coach, I struggled, you know, cause I've got a pretty high level. I am expecting them to, to, to listen to me, right? Like, just listen. Like, can you guys not listen? Well, no, sometimes they can't, but I, I, I <laughs> that's true. I first retired, I was coaching Bantams that move into town and my friend is running on the board and he's like, you got to coach. That's what you do. You know, parents get involved and my kids were small. I wasn't even coaching my kids. My wife is like, I got three kids at home and you're coaching other kids. Like <laughs> come back home and help me raise these kids. But you know, I'm coaching Bantams and I didn't have the experience of raising 13 and 14 year olds yet. I was just a new parent myself, but I remember I'm just like, I couldn't understand these 15 year old kids and how they won't listen to me. I, I'm like a couple of years removed from the NHL Stanley Cup champion. I've got some nuggets here for you boys. And it, it didn't really matter to them. And, and I don't think I, you know, they say, you know, you kids, what is it? Uh, you know, they won't, they won't listen unless they know you believe in them or care about them. No one cares unless they know you care that, that, that old saying. Um, I, I think I was showing care, but you know, some of these kids, they were, it was a B team. They were in it to have fun. They didn't want all this hard coaching and I wasn't yelling and screaming. I was just trying to hold up some standards and accountability, right? Like, Hey, you hard on that puck, you know, but they didn't want that coaching and they didn't want to listen anyway. So, but you know, I think to your point, if, if, if you're on a team that doesn't have a good culture parents, yeah, they need to try and, work with their child and just say, Hey, then you got to control what you can control. And that mm -hmm. having a good attitude, be a good teammate. You know, if your teammate does something good, tap them on the shin pads. Um, if, uh, you know, attitude and effort, it's, it's a hundred year old saying, let's, let's just focus on that and control what we can control. And, you know, I know the team has some or lack thereof, boundaries and guidelines and rules. And there's some, you know, there's some things that uh, are negatives, but if so, if those guidelines and boundaries and guardrails aren't in place, then you got to try and just coach your kid up um, to be and praise them for just being a good teammate and praise them for doing the best that they can in that environment. I totally agree. I'm but glad you Christy, shared that. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I recently have gotten contacted by parents who, are really upset by the culture of their kids. And this is youth level hockey yeah. teams. And what should I do? There's not another team I can go to. The next team is an hour drive away. And, and I shared that same advice. You, you're not going to change everything in a day. The only thing you can change is, is you and your child, you know, and it, if it's that adverse for you, that's difficult. Maybe you should look elsewhere. You know, yeah. if it's that, yeah, you know, if it's that bad, if it's, if it's really that bad, bad you got to take them out maybe, but yeah, exactly. it's, it's a little it's bit awesome. of a, right. Yeah. It's a little bit of a life lesson, right? Cause you're going to have, right. you're going to have teachers that are bad, or you're going to have bosses and managers, sure. bosses, managers and companies that they go into later in life. And it, it's a, it's a, it's a skill to, to start to navigate that stuff. Right. It's frustrating when a kid is 10, 11, 12 years old. Yeah. Exactly. Toxic environment. You're like, why does it have to be like this? Uh, don't you know? Maybe you shouldn't keep them in that kind of environment. That's not mentally healthy either. Well, could, well, for sure. Physically dangerous too. Um, yeah, we didn't even teach them the right lessons. Yeah, if you're teaching yeah. the right lessons from it. Like again, if you're going to leave a program, look, right. I've done that. But I was very fortunate. You know, I wasn't allowed to point fingers. It was, it was. Right. You know, I was taught that. Like, yo, look, it's unfortunate. 
It's not yeah. working out. You're making this decision. How are you going to respond to the adversity of this situation? Yeah. It, it was never about them as much as it was about how I have to handle whatever's happening. Exactly. Right. That was something my parents, right. I think, did really, really well. Right. Right. Yeah. But you do have to draw the line sometimes. And and I don't can't think of if I ever pulled a kid out of a bad situation. But we didn't really get to the, the mental health. Um, right you know, challenges that we were going to maybe talk about, but right. there's, you know, there's some, sounds like we need another podcast. talk. Yeah, it it really is. The wonderful nuggets. It's kind of, it's a, it's level. Yeah. yeah, It's kind of its own episode. We'll have another episode, Tom. Don't worry. Right. 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 But if a kid will demand it, (laughs) if I just, I, I actually actually helped a kid last year. Um, he was at a high school level getting bullied. And bullying is something that, man, that's a whole episode in itself. But I agree. If there's bullying going on, and you don't have the coach's support, and some of the right. and this this player didn't have didn't have the coach's support, mm-hmm. and he didn't have, and there wasn't um, parental support. Correct. Amongst yeah. them either. This was a this was a guy that had moved into a new community. Yes. Mm-hmm. To make a team. And the community didn't want him to make the team. Right. And I said, whoa. And he was, there was some really bad things going on. Yeah. And so I, I, I and his dad asked me for my advice. I said, my advice is we get him out of there. I, I gave the same advice to him. I, I'll make, I made some phone it's calls. It's not worth your kid's mental no. or physical health. No, I took a kid from, he, he was, he could have played the season out in this environment. Um, and I said, no, you're better off going to this yep. other, it was out of state, different community. And he was just a practice player. He yeah. got on the ice with a team. The team couldn't roster him. But a, a friend, of, a friend of a coach who's a friend said, yeah, I, I, we, we can take him. We'll find a billet house for him. And he can finish the season with us. He didn't play in any games. He was, he's got no resume now on his, you know, elite prospects or anything. But I'm like, he can't be in that environment. He doesn't deserve to be treated that way. Right. Yes, I was so mad, but he, he sacrificed playing a season and having stats and and you know which everyone is so important to everyone is what the right. prospect says. Is a human being there? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> He's not a stat. You are not your elite prospects page. Right. right. right? And, that's and no, that's not a shot at elite prospects. By right. the way, right. And that I you. think. <laughs> parents would know yeah. this and there's not bullying is so is such a hard thing i mean right if your kid ever does some bullying that's a terrible place to be too um exactly. does something that is perceived is called bullying these days there's things that when i was a kid was boys will be boys and now it's mm. but still um by today's standards if your kid ever you know excludes someone you just you're like what are you doing bud like you know or right. could be a girl too but being on either side of that is bad, but it's important for parents to not force their kid to ride out that type of mental, you know, anguish, uh, whatever team they're on, if they're being excluded and bullied and it's no fun for them. And you're saying, Hey, we signed up, just hang in there, just finish out the season. You got to be pretty careful with that philosophy when there's some, when there's some, that type of bullying and stuff. I totally agree. Thank you for sharing that. Especially especially at that age too. Look, when we talk about adversity and accountability, I want to just tap on this real quick, Tom, because for those of you listening again, Tom is a massive 
mental health advocate. We're going to have you back on for another episode. To, to That'd be great. Just on that for sure. I, I agree with this was, this was your intro for lack of a better word, but you know, here's the deal is, is when you break down a situation, like let's just use general bullying. Let's just say the kid's 15, 16 years old. Well, they're feeling that and they're, they're <clears throat> internalizing that. And this is where you have to be an adult and say, okay, how much harder is it at 15 and 16 to, to deal with that than if you're a little older, right? And then it's it's also understanding, I talk about being curious. Well, they're feeling it. Okay, they're feeling this. So they're feeling the adversity, all right? It's our job to help them walk those lines. As you said, Tom, sometimes that's got to get them out of the situation and then really make sure that they take a step back or we take a step back and analyze it. Why did you feel that way? <clears throat> how is your self-worth? How is your self-confidence? How is your self-esteem? let's talk about why these are important, right? Because you felt this and this is part of growing up. Um, and here's the deal, Tom, you said it. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to say this <laughs> 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah. Boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. Deal with it. Well, right. here's the, here's the hard truth guys. Uh, teen suicide is catastrophic right now and it's worse yep. than it's ever been in athletics. There are a lot of reasons for that. All right. A lot of things have changed. But if we continue to ignore that and say things like kids will be kids, we are part of that problem. All right. And that conversation needs to change. The stigma of that must be broken. Mental health is not weakness. It is strength. And as a community, we really need to start taking this on because every single child that has been lost to suicides, parents have said at one point, my kid would never do that. Yeah. Okay. And we will have a full conversation, Tom, with you. I, I, again, I'll, I'll obviously let you respond to that, but we will have a full episode on this. <clears throat> oh, I think to your point, you know, I've been paying attention to it. And I've known some families around Minnesota that have had to deal with it. Um, different level, but, you know, players that I played with and played against um, have committed suicide after their program. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, it, it reaches all levels, right. And all, and all ages, but lately it's gotten, it's gotten real young. And, and you mentioned it. A lot of these parents are like, we had no idea. It did not see it coming. And so that's, you know, that's where we have to start, um, getting, getting it through to the, to the people around them that maybe are, you think parents are closest to their kids, but right. teammates, right. It's their teammates. And, and they have to check in and, 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 and coaches just have to be real careful. Um, but again, it's not always coaches fault. Um, the, 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 the child could have, you know, some emotional issues. It sure. Could be, it could be multiple things. Like you said, there's pressures at school, there's pressures at home, there's pressures on the team. That could be a culmination of things. Right. It could just be a mental illness. Well, I, Sometimes I, it's just emotional, right? It's just emotions. Um, and, but at some, at some level that, that, that child, you know, when we're talking about athletes feels like, you know, there it's either hopeless or, um, there's no other solution. Right. You know, it's, it's heartbreaking, especially when you, when you see, when everyone assumes that this, this athlete had so much going for, them, right. Oh, they were, they were going to Stanford or they were you know, star quarterback or star on the soccer team or hockey team. And, and they, they were popular and they were, you know, the, they were one of the cool kids. So it's, there's something going on that needs to be 
addressed or, or figured out. Right. And we have to have our eyes open. Um, and again, I am not talking about any specific situation, but statistics show, and you can look this up, I believe it's 98 or 99% of uh, people who commit suicide did try and tell someone or did try and reach out in the weeks leading up to the action. All right. That, that is a known status. And, and, and it's a, it's a false narrative when people say, and I'm, again, I am not calling out any parents. Well, I didn't know. All right. I, I, I believe that they believe that. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to go into that. My point is, is that there's always signs. It might've been the team. It might've been the coach. It might've been something else. So we as a society need to really open our eyes a bit more to this side of things. There is a massive stigma surrounding mental health and feelings and emotions um, and there's really, there's only really one path forward with that. It, it is getting better. I will say the conversation yeah, it's getting better. has absolutely changed. Um, and, and Tom, we can't wait to have you on for another one with that. Now to end this episode on a lighter note, I want to, I want to let you know, Tom and Christy will be happy to hear this too. You have broken Mike Benelli's speed record for speaking in an episode. That is the fastest I have ever heard him ask a question after an intro. Mike, you asked the first question. Eh? I, I, that You must be inspired. Yeah, no, like, I just, I just, uh, I, I apologize for jumping in on on our podcast and speaking, but I think it's um, like, but, but I, 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 I think you know, we owe I, you another one. I think, yeah, yeah. Well, no doubt. I mean, these are the kind of like calls that you know. Again, I forget I'm on a call. Like I'm, I forget I'm on a podcast. I mean, right, you're you're right. you're coming up with a lot of great conversational pieces that we probably experience every day. I laugh. You know, my wife says it all the time. She goes, "You should actually get paid for talking about hockey because." That's all you do is talk mm -hmm. about hockey. And, you know, I think it's, but I think it's, it's this kind of stuff that if we can, you know, reach a couple of people and, and what I've been very fortunate about this particular, uh, you know, medium is that I get so much feedback back. I love it. I mean, it's just like, like Mike, you know, I heard you speak on this the other day and I really appreciate you bringing that up. You know, and these aren't people that will chime in or call in or, or send even a, you know, they'll just be a private text and it'll be just a private conversation, but it's really just the ability to, you know, have somebody like you come on and give, you know, kind of your body of work as, as a parent, as a player, as an educator, as an advocate and all that kind of stuff. And just, it just helps everybody else that maybe doesn't have this type of a platform uh, to, you know, feel like, Oh, wow. There are, there, there's so many other people out there like me. I don't have to go down this path like a sheep and just, and I can, I can, you know, plow my own path. And I think it's just uh and sometimes it's really hard for any parent to do that, right? It's it's uh, you just point, Mike. I don't know. These other people are they seem like they'd be they're the experts, so I'll just follow them. And and not they're not always the experts. No. You know, they're just some people that happen to have the uh, you know, they're they're the ones that just happen to have the the, the vehicle uh, that they're driving at that point. But but again, I love what you're bringing up, Tom. I de I definitely think you know we could have a number of these, and uh, you know, anytime you can you can you can throw out a little bit of knowledge about, you know, your experience and, and the people you're around. I think it makes us all better, uh, better hockey parents. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to be sharing more and more of it uh, going forward here. You'll be probably hearing hopefully about it in the, in the coming weeks and months, but um, you know, it's, it's true. Like I, I'd love to create a, a guide that kind of teaches the, the, the parents and families. I don't like it when, you know, the game gets more out of the player than the player gets out of the game. Mm. That's a great Love statement. That. Wow. And, and yeah. too often, <laughs> too often, you know, sort of questionable characters in the game, whether they're coaches or 
administrators and sometimes, you know, the, they're, they're, they're getting, you know, the, the game's getting more out of the players and the family than the player and the family is getting from the game. And I want to try to switch that from happening. Um, it's sort of like, you know, you don't want the tail wagging the dog, right? And mm. too often we see these, these, these families and getting sucked up into, into that, keeping up with the Joneses and, and doing everything extra on the, on the development side, and the, you know, whatever they can do, they'll do. Right. And, and you don't have to chase it so hard. Um, it's, it's, you, you win if you let it kind of evolve naturally, you know, cause it's, it's gotta be a hard pill to swallow when you, if you, at the end of your hockey journey, you look back and you're like, man, I either sacrificed too many other things or God, we spent too much money and we didn't really need to spend all that much money or all that time, you know, all those times in the June and July and August when we were in arenas when we should have been, you know, mm-hmm. on the, on the shore, on the water, up at our cottage or doing something else as a family. Um, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen very often, but I'm sure it happens a little bit, you know, where people say, wasn't that great of an experience? And, and, and that's because of those things. It's because they were either chasing it, had their, had their, their source of their, their ob- ob- objective was sort of misguided or they got the game, got more out of them because of unscrupulous, you know, hockey people and, and didn't deliver what, they paid for it kind of thing. So you don't want the game to, to get more out of the player than the player gets out of the game. And that is a fantastic quote and a fantastic way to conclude this episode. Uh, I, I think I speak for the three of us, Tom. We're going to have our producer, Caitlin, who's fantastic, just schedule you right away for another episode, hopefully before the year ends. Because, uh, again, there's some nuggets there. I know we're both big into mental fitness and mental health. And um, I think this was a great opportunity to introduce our audience to you and then also to talk about some amazing things. But uh, we are definitely out of time. <laughs> so Yeah, sorry. No, please never apologize. There's that Minnesota. You don't apologize. All right? You don't have to apologize for that. Um, before we uh, throw it out, if you've got a question for Tom or us, or you have any comments on this episode, which I'm sure we're going to get, feel free to email us at team at ourkidsplayhockey.com. That mailbag fills up weekly, uh, which is fantastic. We love that you're loving the show. And again, if you're, you're getting value from this and you love it, please share it. Please please share it with your friends. Uh, text text your friends. Put in your team snaps where, wherever you feel people may add value. That really is the mission of the show is to kind of change the conversation surrounding youth hockey. Uh, and if you're listening, you're part of that too. So thank you for that. And finally, those, uh, those five-star reviews really help us out. So thanks for doing that. Uh, but I'm going to end it there uh, for Christy Casciano Burns. He's waving at you if you're listening. Mike Benelli, Mr. Talkative on the podcast that he's supposed to talk on today. Mike, you know I love you. Uh, that was a fantastic New York response. And Tom Chorsky. Uh, I'm Leo Elias. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Check us out at ourkidsplayhockey.com, and we'll see you on the next edition of our show. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. Enjoy your hockey, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Make sure to like and subscribe right now if you found value wherever you're listening, whether it's a podcast network, a social media network, or our website, ourkidsplayhockey.com. Also, make sure to check out our children's book, When Hockey Stops, at whenhockeystops.com. It's a book that helps children deal with adversity in the game and in life. We're very proud of it. But thanks so much for listening to this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey, and we'll see you on the next episode.